I'm ready to jump into the Word, but I have to tell you, I, I, am, I love different translations of the Bible, and I had, I had every translation in my notes except for the one translation I did not have. So I'm going to open my iPad where I pasted all of my <laughs> verses in here tonight. So if you want to follow along with me, open your Word, and uh, hopefully they'll have the right versions up as I go. Amen? All right, here we go. I'm going to... Uh, Start in Matthew 9, 18 through 26. Matthew chapter 9, 18 through 26. And if you don't want to go with me all over the Bible, because we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, um, just take notes and you can go back and read it later. All right, here we go. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus rose, arose and followed him. So did his disciples. And suddenly a woman, now notice there's a change. There's, it's the same story, but there's a change in the story, okay? It's, there's, a, there's a space where it doesn't deal with the, the girl that's dying, okay? And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour when Jesus came into the ruler's house. Okay, here we go. We're going to a different, now we're getting back to the young girl that's that's passing away or dying. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flutes playing and noisy crowd wailing, because there were there was some versions say when he heard the funeral sound, there was music for funerals, and he was hearing the flutes and the wailing, and he said to them, "Make room, for the girl is not dead; she's just sleeping." And they ridiculed him, and when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. That's good stuff right there. Do you ever, I believe, I truly, I have a deep conviction that every word in the Bible is there for a reason. It's in the, that part of the Bible for a reason. It's all designed as fresh revelation. Do you believe that the Word of God is living and you can get fresh revelation? And I, I truly believe, my conviction is that there is a reason why it, this story is, they're laced together. The woman with the issue of blood and the ruler whose daughter was dying or was just asleep. There's a reason why they're joined together. And the more I studied it, the more I realized that there are several people in this, in this whole uh, part, section of the Bible that we can break down and really find ourselves. Okay, so we're going to find out some, some stuff about faith and where we are with our own personal faith tonight. In the story, we have four people. The woman with the issue of blood, the, uh, the ruler, and his daughter, and Jesus. Okay, four, char- four people that are involved in this story. Let's start with the woman with the issue uh, of blood. Um, the woman with the issue of blood went for herself and touched Jesus, right? Her faith was strong enough on its own to receive her healing. And I, I think that this is important that you read different versions of the Bible because you'll pick up 
on things. Uh, they'll word it differently, and all of a sudden a light bulb will go off, and you'll go, oh, that's what that means. It says that the people were thronging him. That if you read, actually, if you read it in Mark, it's Mark 5, 24, 34. Do you have that one? Mark, you don't? Okay. It's all right. Mark 5, 24, and 34 says that that version says that that they were thronging Jesus or that they were swarming him, like bees swarm, okay? And the, the, the problem with this story is that there were so many people trying to get to Jesus. Why were they trying to get to Jesus? Because they all had needs, and they were touching him. There's no way you can be in a throng of people or swarm of, of people and not be touched. Have you ever been in a crowded place and you feel like everywhere you turn, you, there's no place for you to stand? That is what a throng of people is. And so everybody's touching Jesus. And that's why in this story, when the, the disciples actually say in Mark, why do you say who touched me? How do you know somebody touched your clothes when all these people around you are trying to get to you anyways? And there's, it's, there's a reason why. First of all, he said he felt his virtue leave, okay? And she was healed. And it says in here, that she was healed, that her faith made her well. It says, but Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now, the difference between her and the crowd, what's the difference? They're both ill. There's ill people in the crowd, and there's an ill woman. What makes her faith different than theirs? They were there for a healing. Obviously, they believed he could heal them, right? So what's the difference in her faith and their faith? The woman was an outcast. That's, she was the, you know, the sick person. Back then, they cast you out. They didn't want you working. They didn't want you being around anybody. She had no life. She was basically an outcast from all of civilization, okay? And she just knew that if she could touch the hem of his garment, she would be healed. And it says his, her faith is what healed her. So I be- truly believe that all of those people that were touching Jesus and thronging Jesus and trying to get to him, they believed that he could heal them. But she believed he not only could heal him, her, he could, excuse me, he could, he could not only heal her, but he wanted to heal her. There's a big difference. When you go to God and you beg and you plead and you, you think that you're having faith for something because you know he can do it. But when you know he can and you know he wants to do that on your behalf, that's when your faith becomes strong. And you can go to Jesus for yourself. So there's this woman. Faith is a gift that grows. I'm sure a lot of you have heard that before. But I'm going to read a couple scriptures to you to prove the point. Um, In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, the NIV version, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing, catch that, more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Okay? Let's prove my point again. 2 Corinthians 10, 15, NIV version. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of works done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. One more to prove my point. Is that okay? I'm, I'm building my case, as Bishop Tudor says. I'm building my case. Anyways, 
Colossians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 in the New Living Translation. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and uh, you will overflow with thankfulness. Faith is just like exercising at the gym. Honestly, how many of you go to the gym? <laughs> I, I, I say once a month, maybe. But <laughs> I've been slacking these days. But have you ever gone to the gym? You hadn't been there in a while. You can't, you can't do what you normally can do. Like, there's no way I can do the amount of crunches it took me two years ago to do all that pageant stuff that I can do now. I thought I could. I took a year off from the gym, and I went back, and I could do, like, I could do 200 crunches back then, and I could, like, did 10, and I wanted to throw up and leave, and so, (laughs) but you go back, and you have every intention of doing what you used to, to do, and then you get on the treadmill next to some, you know, some person that you know that they've been there every single day, you know, they know how to operate the machine, you know, I never know how to operate the machine. That's how you know you've been too long from the gym. And I I get on, and I feel like, okay, I'm going to go as long as she's going because I don't want her to think that she can outdo me. Are y'all competitive like that at all? Okay, no. Well, I am. So I am sweated down to the ground. This woman is running a marathon, and I'm like, oh, God, is she ever going to stop? Is she ever going to stop? That is just like our faith. We have to exercise it. And if you don't exercise your faith, you're stunted in growth. And so the more you exercise, the more it grows. The more you don't exercise, the more it starts to decrease. The Lord said uh, that faith is like a mustard seed. Now, the reason why it's like a mustard seed and that it can move mountains is not because when you have faith that small, you can move mountains. It's because mustard seed grows into a huge tree or plant or whatever it is. I think it's a tree, a mustard seed tree, right? It's huge. And they're saying that if you will just have faith like this seed right here, because when it grows after time, you will begin to have faith that can move mountains. Isn't that good? That means that, yeah, you can have little faith and it's okay. But if you want to move mountains, you've got to grow it. And this woman had faith. Faith is what made her whole, the Lord said. There's two different people, the ones who have enough faith to seek God for themselves and the ones that are weak in faith or unable to go to Jesus for themselves and need others to have faith for them. It's called compounding faith. It's the snowball effect. It's compounding. You know, when you, when you come to church and there's a synergy and electricity in the room during worship on Sunday, the room is filled and everybody's passionate, everybody's seeking the same thing. There's this compounding anointing that happens. And people say, man, that was good church today. And some Sundays they don't say that. And it's because when the whole church comes together and they begin to praise God and they begin to seek his face, there's this electricity in the air. That doesn't mean he's not there. With the, with the smaller Sunday. It just means that it's a compounding thing. And so there's this young girl who can't go to Jesus for herself. Let's look at her. She's, a, she's one that I'd like to look at next. Um, her father had to go to Jesus for her. The people in this young girl's life wrote her off. They even played funeral music. They were weeping and wailing. There, the flutes... I can only imagine it's just like a funeral. 
that's the, the thing I hate the most in my life is funerals. I hate to go to funerals because even if I don't know the person that's passed away and I'm there for someone else, I can't help it. I cry anyways because it's just there's this mourning and they're already mourning the life of this young girl. And so the ruler, for some reason, the ruler knew if he could get to Jesus for her. So he had faith for her. She could not get up off that bed. So he had faith for her and he went to Jesus Are there people in our life that we just have written off? They're just sleeping, but, you know, we think they're dead. We've written them off as dead. We're already mourning. We're already saying, oh, it's a tragedy. They're just, they're, they're too far gone. You know, just, I I just don't know what to do. So I'm just, adios. I'm going to have to cut ties with them because I can't, I'll be unequally yoked and I'm just going to shut that door completely. Does that sound... That sounds spiritual, right? That sounds right. But there's, there's a difference between being yoked to someone and being able to reach someone, okay? And so there's these people, and you use these, we use these excuses. We being myself. I'm preaching to myself and the choir. Um, you know, I have this person in my life that does too many drugs. There's just no way. He'll never have a solid mind to be, even be able to ask questions about Jesus. I'm going to write him off. Okay? Someone else, someone else can reach him. I'm not the right person. Uh, too hard to reach. Your teenager, your coworker, your boss, your husband. Sometimes they're so mean, you don't even want to reach them. You just write them off because you don't like them. They're just downright mean. Oh, Lord. Thank you. Say, preach it. Because sometimes, (laughs) I know y'all got some bosses like that. I'm just saying, I have heard the prayers of the church, and I know we're going to pray them in tonight. They're just sleeping. This girl was just sleeping. And we write these people off, and we forget the power of Jesus. Because here's the thing. All he had to do was touch her, grab her hand, and pull her up. One moment with Jesus, and she's awake. She's fully awake. She's alive. And, and there's so many times that as Christians, we come to church and we think, man, if my friend was here, they wouldn't get all this. They wouldn't understand it. But you're writing off the, what the Holy Ghost can do in one visit. One visit. And, and you know what? You bring your teenager every Sunday and you're going, he is not getting a word. He fell asleep. I saw him nodding off over in the youth section. Yeah, and you're thinking, he's not getting any of this. It just takes one moment with Jesus, that one experience to make someone asleep awake. Just one moment. So what's the difference between the woman with the issue of blood and the girl sleeping? Someone had to go to Jesus for that girl. Someone had to bring Jesus to her. Someone had to make the appointment where he could touch her life. And the woman with the issue of blood, she did it on her own because her faith was strong and it healed her. Let's see here. Ezekiel, let me see here. One, uh, Ezekiel 37 in the Amplified Version. 
the reason why I'm going to read this is because things that we see with our physical eye are deceiving and cause us to draw a conclusion. These people thought she was dead because her eyes were closed. And I don't know if they took her pulse. Uh, God help her if she, they did not take her pulse and they wrote her off dead. Uh, did y'all hear that story about that girl that they buried because they thought she and the girl was in the casket at the funeral and got up out of the casket? They had gotten this girl's identity confused. Yeah, I'm telling you, I would run out the doors and maybe pee my pants a little bit. I'm just saying. And so (laughs) what you see with your eye is not always what is really going on in the spiritual world. The spiritual world is actually more real than the physical world. So we can't depend on what our eyes are telling us. And we draw conclusions. As Christians, we draw a conclusion on that person's life. They're done. They're not reachable. Someone else can reach them. One moment in, in, this, in the presence of God is not going to reach this one. It's just, they're just too far gone. We write them off. We decide, we judge, we judge what their life sentence is going to be. And we stop trying. In Ezekiel 37, the Amplified Version, it says, I'm, I'm going to read to you a lot of it because I, I truly believe the prophetic... Even in the book of God, or the, the, the Bible, is prophetic now. It's prophetic and it's alive now. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones, and he caused me to pass round about among them. And behold, there were very many, and it has in the Amplified Version, that's why I like it, human bones in the open valley or plain. And behold, they were very dry. Okay, I lost my place. And he said to me, son of man, this is God, that he is capitalized. Thank you, Pastor Randon. You're doing a great job of teaching us on Sunday morning. And son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord, you know. Um, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath and spirit to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews. Is that correct how I say that, sinews? I think it is. It's skin in the NIV version. (laughs) Upon you, or no, it's bones. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what sinews are. Are they tendons? We don't know. Sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and I will put breath and spirit in you, and you, dry bones, shall live. And you shall know, understand, and realize that I am the Lord, the sovereign ruler, who calls forth loyalty and obedience and servants. Wait, go back one more. Notice that. He said, who calls forth loyalty and obedient service. Here's the deal. When this prophet is looking at these dry bones, he needs to be obedient to what the Lord is telling him to speak. Speak this. Don't add your own words. Don't, Don't use fillers. Speak this. Prophesy this. Be obedient to my words. I'm, I want obedient service and forth loyalty. Calls forth loyalty. Here's the thing. When we aren't trying to reach out, maybe it's because we just aren't being obedient. Let's go to the next 
verse. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a thundering noise, and behold, a shaking and trembling and a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon the bones, and flesh came upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath or spirit in them. Notice here, he has already said, prophesy breath, yet they're a whole body, and he's, there's no breath in them. So now he's prophesying again. And I looked, and behold, uh, but there was no breath in him. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath and spirit, son of man, and say to the breath and spirit, thus says the Lord, come forth four winds, O breath and spirit, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Now, that's a lot of reading, I know. But the bottom line is, is that when I want to prophesy life over something in my life, I go to this, this prophetic word in the Bible, this chapter, and I start to change out words in here. I put, instead of humans, I, I put businesses. I put people that, names of people that aren't saved in my life that I want delivered, you know. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Let me read this to you and see if this makes a little sense. And I answered, O Lord, you know. Let me skip down. I will cause breath and spirit to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon thee and bring flesh. These bones were dry and dead, but the Lord knew something else. The Lord knew they could live. So with his human eye, he said, well, you know if they can live. But he's looking at dry bones. So in his mind, it's concluded. There are just a bunch of dry bones here. But in the, in the, in the realm, in the spiritual realm, the Lord is trying to show him, I can make all things new. And so you come up here and you say, uh, let me see, where do I want to start? Oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will put in, oh, you, say a business, your business, your workplace, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these, this place. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. I just lost my place. Again, this is confusing. I will cause this place. Hold on. I will bring flesh. Uh, okay, here we go. And I will lay sinews upon you and bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin. And obviously you can't cover a business in skin. But still, I, I skip right over and I say, You shall know, understand, and realize that I am the Lord, the sovereign ruler who calls forth loyalty and obedience. So when I feel that something is dead, I begin to prophesy the word of God to that situation. Because I know that it looks dead. It's dead. They're dry. But I know that the Lord makes all things new. And it even proves here that he goes back a second time. The Lord says, you're going to breathe breath and in, in life into this, these, these bones, and they're going to live. But he says they come up, and they've, you're almost there. The human is almost made. He has no breath. So he has to go back again and prophesy. Have you ever been there? where you just feel like you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying. Sometimes the Lord needs you to intercede on someone's behalf 
Someone needs you to intercede on what you're, you've got to intercede. That's, there's a difference in intercession and prayer. There just is. You just keep yourself in the presence of God. You just keep asking. You just, you make war in the heavenlies when you intercede. You don't just pray. And he's doing it again. He's prophesying again. So even a prophet like Ezekiel, who's like the man in the Bible when it comes to prophets, he even had to go back and prophesy again to see the reality of those dry bones coming together. Amen? Uh, Let's see here. Call those things that look dead and demand life. Let's look at another person sleeping too much. Dead bones, girl sleeping. Let's look at another situation. As Christians, we can fall in the trap of sleepwalking through life. In Luke 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 29 through 33, in the American Standard Version. Now, I'm going to read it. Now, about eight days after these teachings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his countenance began, became altered, different, it says. And his uh, remnant remnant, uh, it changed it here in, in my iPad, became dazzling white, flashing with the brilliance of lightning. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in splendor and majesty and brightness and were speaking of his exit. Now, I want you to notice that they were speaking of his exit, Jesus's life, him leaving the earth, which he was about to bring to Revelation at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those with him were weighed down with sleep. I'm pretty sure that means they were deep asleep. They had taken two Tylenol PM, not one. And when they fully awoke, they saw his glory, splendor, and majesty, and brightness, and the two men who stood with him. They missed the transfiguration. They missed a conversation in the heavenlies. Literally, a conversation. They would have understood what was about to happen. They didn't get it the Last Supper. They hadn't got it thus thus far that Jesus is going to die. And if they'd have been awake, they could have heard the conversation. They could have heard the heavenly conversation about that situation. And they'd have had more knowledge. They'd have been to be able to have more faith, be able to see more clearly. Who knows what had, would have happened if they'd have seen it. And it says that they were weighed down with sleep. Have you ever been so asleep that when you wake up, you say things you don't mean? Have you ever been there? I'm not talking about angry people that don't like the morning, you know. That's my husband. No, we don't talk for 10 minutes, at least 10 minutes. <laughs> no, the people that you're, you're literally asleep and you're woke up in an instant and you say something that just does not make sense, like, the raccoons are in the yard. Okay, first of all, you live in an apartment, you know. Does nothing about that make sense, you know. The rats are wearing sweaters. You're like, where did that come from? Did I really say that? That is, my daughter sleepwalks a whole lot. My, my son did it last night. Our whole family does. Just the bottom line is, we walk around with our eyes wide open in the middle of the night, and I don't even know how we don't hit our heads on walls. I'm very serious. They inherited it from us. And so my daughter, she walks in in the middle of the night. She walks in the bedroom, and she goes, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just can't do it. I said, 
what is wrong with her? I'm looking at him. We're in, we're in the bed. We're about to go to sleep. And I said, what is wrong with her? He says, oh, she does this every night. You're just asleep at this point. I said, what? He said, watch this. Her eyes are wide open. She is staring at me and crying, okay? He said, it's okay. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Jesus is with you. And he just go on back to bed. And she went, okay. And she went right back to bed. I said, is she awake? He said, nope, she's not awake. She's staring right at you, but she didn't know. And the next morning I questioned her. I said, did you know what you did last night? And she's like, no. I said, do you remember coming in my bedroom crying? She's like, no. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's weird when people's eyes are wide open and they are speaking to you and they're asleep, okay? It's just weird. And they say crazy things. Now, the disciples, what happened, they were weighed down with sleep. So I kind of feel bad for them because one of them felt like they needed to say something and they should have just kept their mouth shut because they blurted out something that really ticked God off. And they said, well, we're, we need to set up three memorials, Jesus, to all of you, to Elijah, to Moses and Jesus. Well, what that did is that put Jesus on the same playing field as prophets and the men of God in the Bible. No, 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 no. They still don't have it. He is God with flesh. And so as soon as they spoke that, thunder comes in. And, and, and the whole thing, they, they just get told off. Basically, basically they said something they shouldn't have said. They, didn't, <laughs> they were asleep and they woke up and he just said something. Don't say stuff when you first wake up. That is the point of this. No, I'm just joking. It's not the point. But they were sleeping and they missed a heavenly conversation. They should have never been asleep. But wait, you would think they'd have learned their lesson. Mm -mm. Now, Peter and they that were with him were heavy asleep. Okay, the, wait, that's, that's that one. Hold on. Let me, read, let me read the other one to you, where they had fallen asleep. And he withdrew. This is in Luke 22, 41 through 43, in the Amplified Version. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. That can't be too far. It's literally every version of this talks about how close they were to him. Every version. They, talk, they just change, like even the different chapters that they tell the story, they make comment of he was literally just a stone's throw away. Okay? So there's a point there that they're trying to make. And he said, he uh, stones her away and knelt down and prayed. This is Jesus saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but always yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him in spirit. Okay, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. This is the last moments before he dies. This is the last time of prayer with his disciples. And he's a stone's throw away. And he tells them, he says right here, he told his disciples, sit down here while I go yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and keep awake. That's what he says. Stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself upon the ground. In his hour of need, in Christ's hour of need, he says to them, their only job is to 
stay awake, and pray. That's their only job. But the disciples didn't have Red Bulls back then, and they truly did fall asleep again. And you would think that after they had missed such a miraculous moment on the Mount of the Transfiguration, when the Transfiguration happened, you'd think that when Jesus said, stay awake, you would stay awake. I mean, at least take turns. If you're not all three going to stay awake, just somebody take turns of sleeping. Would you please? Do you ever think about that? I don't know. That's just me. I mean, I'm thinking of ways. They didn't have Red Bull, so what could have kept them awake? That's just, that's just how my mind goes. That's where, where I go. I would have been pinching folks. I would have been doing whatever I could to stay awake. But they missed it again. And it says, then he said to them, my sorrow is very sad to be grieved. Stay here, keep watch with me and pray. Then it goes on. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and desire. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Are you so utterly unable to stay awake and keep watch with me for one hour? All of you must keep awake, give strict attention Be cautious and active, and pray and watch that you may not come into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away to pray. They got told by Jesus. I don't know what was their problem with staying awake, but it was serious. I think they had sleep apnea. And so he goes away again. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed the third time using the same words. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Have you ever noticed that this doesn't have exclamation points in bold in the Bible? The what with the exclamation point, are you so utterly unable to stay awake? At that moment, he was angry. The, by the third time, you know that your mama and daddy are mad when they are not yelling. Have you ever been there where you walk into a room and it's very quiet and you know that you are dead? Have you ever, does anybody know that feeling? I guess I just experienced it too much as a teenager. And so when I am extremely angry with my children, I talk like this to them so that I don't explode, okay? And so at this point, this is the third time, and I think that Jesus said it in a way, are you done taking your naps now? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of especially wicked sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And then he's taken away. Pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment for Christ. You would think that his disciples could stay awake and intercede for one hour. But if they were so incapable with Jesus in physical body being there within a stone's throw to keep awake and pray, then why is it so hard to believe that we can't stay awake in our spiritual life? If they had him physically, how is it that we think we're too good and that we're, we're, we're too good to fall asleep in our spiritual life? I'm pretty sure that the disciples were a lot like us. It's true. I say that I would do certain things, but I wasn't in, in their shoes. So in my world, I'm looking at my life saying, Am I asleep? Here's a few things. Do you hear the desperation in his voice? He needs synergy of prayer in a time of need. 
when you are sleepwalking through life, you are focused mainly on your needs. They were sleeping. They took a nap. They were not focused on the need of Jesus. He says that he was so depressed unto death. He was so sorrowful. And at that point in his life, he needed the synergy of prayer. He did. Jesus needed them to pray. And as Christians, we have such strong conviction to love everybody and, and, and to be a church. But yet, when it's someone's hour of need, are we truly awake? Are we focused on ourselves so much that we can't reach out? That's a key component in being asleep. You can be asleep and walk through church every single Sunday and walk right out the door and never reach one person. Just be completely asleep. One key is, are you focused on yourself or are you interceding on other people? Let's find ourself in these people, okay? If you're not in them, that's awesome. Just pray for me later. But if, you, if you're anything like me, I can find myself here. It says that let's take all, all the people, all the characters in tonight when we're talking about sleeping and faith, all these people. Are you like the child that needs to lock up faith with the stronger prayer partner? That Are you in need of someone in your life to come and say, I can, you, your faith might be small. Your faith might be the size of a bean right now, but I have faith like a watermelon. And if we join that together, something's going to come alive. This thing is going to change. It's okay for you to say, I need someone else to join faith with me because I don't have the ability on my own to get to Jesus on this. It just feels too big. Have you ever been there? The other is, are you like the crowd that has been given, uh, I'm sorry, are you like the crowd that has given up on someone? You have no faith for someone or something. You've given up on it. It doesn't even have to be a person. It can be a dream. It can be your business. The business that you have been trying to build your entire life, you just, just, and you know it's from the Lord. You know that you know that it's from the Lord. You just gave up on it. You just decided, it's, I'm going to draw my own conclusions, not what the Lord has to say, and I'm going to just say that this is dead and I need to move on with my life. Or maybe even, maybe even a marriage where you've drawn your own conclusions about that person that you're married to and you've decided that it's done, it's over. I, I, I can't do this anymore. This relationship is dead and I don't have enough faith. It's, I've drawn my own conclusion about this and a divorce is needed. Have you ever been there? Are you like the disciples who love God and follow him? but aren't living life with eyes wide open, looking for God to do the miraculous in your life, or just not being strong in faith for someone because you are just too caught up in your own self. Every time that they fell asleep, they missed a miraculous moment. There was this radical move of God in uh, January of last year. Is that right? And there were some people that just, when, when God shows up, I'm going to move whatever it is. I'm going to move my nail appointment. That's just the bottom line. And 
I can let my roots grow out. It's okay. Jesus still loves me with bad roots. It's the truth. I'm going to move whatever I have to do to get to that, that heavenly moment where the heavens have parted and something miraculous is happening. And there were people that were so caught up in themselves, they missed it. They missed it because they thought that these things were more important. And they fell asleep, and they were, fought, they were sleepwalking. They're Christians sleepwalking, not seeing anything powerful, nothing to build their faith because they were sleepwalking. And some of us have enough faith that we could move not just mountains. We could move Parkdale Mall, all of southeast Texas. I mean, if I need someone to pray for me, I, I have several people I go to. First and foremost, my mother-in-law is a powerhouse prayer. If you've ever, first of all, you know the Holy Spirit's on her when her hand shakes like this. So if the hand is shaking, you better get up under it. Have you ever, have you ever seen her hand do that? <laughs> She's a powerhouse prayer. And, and people like Jackie Jackson and Candy Galleon, and I know they're intercessors. So when I need someone to move heaven and earth with me, I lock arms with them. But are we so like the disciples that we know we have the power of God in us, and we know we have faith, and we have so much to do, but we just don't have relationship with anybody enough to help them move their faith forward. Because that's what the church is about. It's about growing each other. It's about teaching each other and growing each other and counting on each other. Finding ourselves here is difficult, but we have to grow our faith. The difference between the woman with the issue of blood and the crowd of people was that she knew that he could and would heal her. That's the only difference. I know that the Lord wants to do something in your life. There's something, everybody has something that they're holding on to and they're going, God, if you don't breathe life into this situation, it looks dead right now. So if you don't breathe life soon, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to walk right out of the desert and leave those bones there. You know? A lot of us have that in their life right now, and they're dealing with that. And I believe that that's an exercise of your faith. You're exercising your faith. And, and if you find yourself in any of these situations, find yourself here and then decide, what do I need to do to grow my faith? Right? What do I need to grow my faith? And if you happen to be sleepwalking through life, how you grow your faith is you decide that you're going to start praying for everybody and every need. That's, that's growth. You will grow faith, and you will see miraculous things because you will be praying for other people, which grows your faith. If you're like the girl, you need to find the girl that's dead or sleeping. You need to find somebody that can be your prayer partner that's stronger than you. I don't go to people that I know have the same amount of faith I do. I go to people that I know have seen more stuff. They've seen cancer tumors drop right out of the body. I mean, that's pretty incredible. I, I go to that person when I need prayer. Or if we need to exercise our faith by deciding that this person in our life is reachable and I'm going to stay faithful and I'm going to see God do something in this situation or this person and we are exercising our faith even in that. Amen? One touch 
from the hem of his garment, not even his body, made this woman whole. Her faith made her whole. One touch. That's all it takes. One time. You know, I was reading this book the other day, and it said that there's this test of prosperity. And it says that the prosperity test happens overnight. The test of prosperity. Typically, when you know you're in a test of prosperity, what happens is you dig a hole your whole life, and you just keep digging. You think, man, is is this ever going to get easier? You just keep digging, and you just keep digging. Then one day you wake up, and the Lord has done something for you, and you are now in the prosperity test. Are you going to give him the glory for the situation? Joseph did that. Joseph spent 15 or 18 years in prison because he did the right thing. That's what's, that's, that's, as Christians, we think that we are entitled to good things because we did the right thing. And Joseph's sitting in jail for 15 to 18 years. I can't remember which one it is. Brandon, you don't know? Okay, 15 years. We're just going to go with 15. <laughs> sitting in jail for 15 years, and the next one night he's asleep. The next day, he's one of the most powerful men in the kingdom. That's the prosperity test. It can change like that. Just, you just have to keep being faithful. Keep growing your faith. With everything, there's a test. With every prayer, there is a test. He is exercising you, and he's getting your reps up, and he is doing everything he can do to make you strong and fit so that when that moment comes, he'll change it. He'll change the situation for you, and you will be in the middle of a prosperity test. God is blessing you so much that he's testing your ability. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. But the point is, is that it just takes one moment with Jesus. It just has to be the right time and the right place and the right moment. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you all tonight. So here we go. Father, I just thank you that your presence was here tonight and that you allowed us to learn and grow. And I thank you that your, your, your presence was here to guide me. And I ask that you would begin to, to change things in our lives. We know that we're not perfect. And we ask that you would begin to change us, mold us, make us, make our faith so big, grow us, give us faith tests so that we can grow, Father. Make it visible so that we can point it out and go, okay, this is a test. Father, I ask that you would open the eyes of people in this room and people that that know people that have their eyes shut and are not in this room. We ask that you would open their eyes and that they would be so be able to see into the spiritual realm that they would know who to touch and pray and when to, when to go in their closet and pray. Father, I thank you that, that you would show them the miraculous, that you would start doing the miraculous in this church. Father, that, that cancer would be healed and that, that dead things, dead businesses would come back to life. And Father, I just thank you that you're going to work miracles at Triumph Church Beaumont because we want to see the miraculous. In our eyes, we want them wide open, Father. We call those dead things to life. We call every dry, all the dry bones to come to life. Our teenagers, as they go to camp, Father, I ask that when they go, that you would breathe life into them, that your life would begin to cause them to, to have faith that they can change, that, it, that they would have the joy of the Lord. It would, their whole life would be changed. They would become alive. I ask that you would, you would just make them alive, Father. Breathe life into them. 
We ask that you would do that in our children as well. Father, I don't want just weak children. I want strong, mighty, godly children in this church that can witness to adults and aren't even scared. Do it, Father. Do it, Father. When they go to camp, let them have a touch from the Holy Spirit that's so uncontainable that they are on fire for God. We speak it over their lives. We prophesy it over these situations, these camps and these situations in this room. We prophesy to them and we say that they are whole, alive, and that the presence of the Lord is living in them. In Jesus' name, amen.